0: This is the Comp Effect Podcast. When you focus on workers' compensation, you'll have a safer work environment, more productive staff, lower expenses, and you'll crush your competition. We're sharing real-world stories, actionable tips, business-friendly advice, and information to help your business. I'm your host, Todd Tams. Enjoy the show. Hey, and welcome back to the comp effect podcast. I really hope you enjoy today's show. Uh, today we're interviewing Grant Botma and I met Grant Botma about three years ago at an insurance conference where he was talking about company culture. He was one of the featured presenters back then, and it was really interesting to me, the, the things that he was doing with his company. And since that time, he's gone on to write a book, create a course. And the message that he has today, I think, is is fantastic for business owners. I don't think there's many businesses out there that really operate with as much freedom as what his does and what he's created. And I think the great message here is there's there's really no right or wrong way to run a business as long as you're focusing on doing the right thing and taking care of not only your customers, but also the people you work with, your employees. I think he's done a great job empowering his employees to, to really create a culture of how they take care of those who they serve. And I think he's made a concerted effort to hire to fit the company culture. And when I translate this back to workers' compensation, um, based upon my experience, it's, it's easy to see that when we're looking at a loss run and maybe there's a lot of claims um, that ties back into culture and company culture is something that needs to be at the center of your business operations and focused on all the time because when when the culture isn't there i think that's when the problems are going to start and that's what usually we see in loss history and claims and higher rates and higher employee turnover and just a whole litany of bad things. So I hope this podcast is informative. And thanks again for listening. I should also mention there's a there's a spot about 30 minutes in. Uh, we had some technical difficulties and we lost the uh, the Wi-Fi connection. So there's a break where it cuts in and cuts out. But other than that, you should be good to go. Welcome to the Comp Effect Podcast, Grant Botma. Grant Botma, I'm so excited to have you here today and talk. A little bit about your business and some of the neat things that you have done just to kind of educate some of our listeners here on who you are. Uh, Let's go through some of your you and your team's accomplishments. Uh, Grant Botma resides in the great state of Arizona and is the founder and owner of Stewardship Financial Services where they love people through their finances. The cool thing, Steward Financial also happens to be an Inc 5000 fastest growing company for two years in a row. And if that isn't a big enough professional accomplishment, Grant is also an Amazon number one bestselling author of the book, The Problem Isn't Their Paycheck. Grant has created a culture course, which is an online course to help your business create a thriving team. Grant is married to the beautiful Jody and together they have three children. And I am honored to have you on the podcast today, Grant. Thank you.
1: Oh man, thanks. That was a cool introduction. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. Well, that's
0: well-deserved. It's well-deserved. Well Grant, I am super pumped to have you on today. And as we talk about workers' compensation on the Comp Effect podcast, I really am excited with what you've done in the industry and how you've created a course specifically on culture and company culture. And I don't know that, that a lot of people know what your story is or how you got to where you are today but mm. it's a rare path and it was very purposeful and intentional. And I would love to share that with the world and maybe see if there's a way that we can help correlate that into some other industries also with what you've done.
1: Yeah. Happy to share that. You know, I, I think as you um, consider workers comp and trying to create, you know, a business or or a place that's as safe as possible the company culture plays a huge role in that. And yeah, as mentioned, um, it was kind of a, a different way that I came about creating a company culture. It's very different than what business school taught me and happy to kind of share that framework with you. Uh, but yeah, I mean, as, as awesome as those accomplishments that you listed sounded, I'm just a normal guy, man. I, I grew up on a farm. I'm the middle of seven kids. I'm not extremely like intelligent. I didn't go to Harvard or anything. Uh, I kicked cow patties for fun as a kid, so I'm not super smart. Um, But uh, yeah, I grew up on a farm in in a small farming town in Arizona Um, and this is again where I still live and uh, ended up going to uh, a a high school where they had like a a, a job fair for Discover Card and I was only 15 years old at the time but uh, I wanted to go to that job fair honestly just to get out of class so they had to let me go (laughs) to the job fair. And uh, as part of that, I did like this interview thing. It was like this mock interview to be like to collect money from somebody who is past due, like a 15-year-old doing this, right? And then by the time I get home, there's a message on my answering machine where the people at the job fair asked my father for permission to have me work there because they had to get my dad's permission because I was not 16 yet, right? Um, so that's how I got my start in finance uh, through this really weird kind of job fair thing. And I was working at, at, discover card and, and while I was there, um, they were teaching me to, to collect debt on people in kind of some weird ways. And I just wasn't down with that. You know, they're saying, threaten them and tell them that we're going to take their house and tell them you are gonna put liens on their stuff. And I just wasn't down with that. So what I did was instead of being threatening, I just asked them, Hey, how'd you get past due? How'd that happen? And I would just take notes, you know, oh, I lost my job, or oh, my grandma got sick, or oh, I broke my leg. And then the next time I called, I wouldn't ask for money. I'd just say, hey, how's your leg doing? Or did you find a job? And then the next thing I know, after a period of months, my inbound line was ringing off the hook. And I was breaking records at Discover Card as a 15 year old, only working part time because all these people were calling me uh, to, to pay me. Because the truth is, if they're past due on Discover Card, they're probably past due on a lot of stuff. And when they got money, who did they want to call back? You know, the guy that exhibited genuine empathy towards them and cared about them and, and and tried to build a relationship with them. And that was something that that I did as a 15-year-old, which is important to share as part of the story because it plays out into the whole company culture side of things.
0: How did that work at Discover when you're 15 years old and you're not following their model? Because I'm, I'm just um, saying that you had some manager that said, Grant we're here to collect these people's, we need money. We need money coming in and you're asking them how their leg is.
1: Yeah, you know, it's it's funny that you say that. My initial manager, she was always she was her role was to take on all the new employees and all the new employees would work under her for a period of time. And she was filled with grace and joy and just a wonderful person to work for and she had to, she had to have that confidence because if you are new and 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 asking people for money that they're past due on, those conversations would get weird, right? And if your manager wasn't filled with that grace and love and joy, you probably wouldn't want to stick around very long. So, she she was fine. She was great. She didn't care. And I actually was getting good results. So, it it was wonderful. And then I got transferred to a new manager and that manager didn't necessarily like me. And the rest of the people on the team didn't necessarily like me either because they were all adults, like genuinely trying to have a job working really hard. And I'm sitting there shooting nerf hoops in my cubicle working half the hours they are, but producing twice as much as them. And I didn't, you know, I, I didn't know it, but I was just, I, I'm sure to them, I, I look like an arrogant little jerk, you know? And uh, it, it, it didn't go well. My, my manager did not like that I was just going outside of the boundaries, even though I, I produced well. Um, and eventually, um, I was getting recruited by other credit card collection companies uh, for some of the results that I had and, and I left. And a, and a lot of it was in part to having a manager that didn't allow me the freedom to, to pursue a way of, of doing business that was working.
0: Well, I think this is a perfect segue then in to what you do today. I mean, you, you, you created a company because I've been there before. I have quit jobs <laughs> because I didn't like the manager that I had. And, you know, we may have had a great manager before that person gets promoted and somebody else comes in suddenly the job that I used to enjoy, I no longer enjoy anymore. And so then when I go and I find that other job, which has happened a couple of times in my career, now I'm self-employed. I feel as though that business lost. I feel as though they lost a lot of information and Hmm. a lot of hard work and energy, because I think most people identify with their employer. And if they like what they do, they're willing to pour themselves into that job And if they no longer like their manager, out the door they go.
1: Yeah, there's um, the people that are able to answer this question with a yes are significantly higher producers and are a lot less likely to leave their place of employment so they have a much higher retention rate. If they can answer yes to this question, I believe that my boss or superior genuinely cares about me. That's it. That was the study. That was the question. Do you believe that your boss or manager genuinely cares about you? And if you are able to answer yes to that, they found out that those folks were higher producers and were staying at the company longer than people who who said no to that. And this was a study that was done. I think it was Harvard Business Review and they had, had done this study across all kinds of different companies all over the country for years and years and years just getting the answer to that question. Um, So, you're 100% correct. That was not just your experience, probably the experience of many people listening, my experience and proven through data and statistics. So, now fast forward to I'm basically 24 years old, started a a mortgage brokerage and we're growing and I'm finding a way to serve people and and, and fill this need and doing business differently and relationally. So my business is growing and I need to get an employee and I started treating this employee the way that business school taught me and the way that management books taught me and it didn't go well. <laughs> um, one of the biggest things that was a failing point was um, I, I, I was doing these uh, quarterly performance reviews and what we're taught in those performance reviews and this is what was done to me as, as when I was working for employers before too is you create a goal for the employee And you create this goal that's just outside of their reach, right? And and the thought process is, have that employee reach really high for that. And if they're reaching super high for that and they don't get it, fine, no big deal. But if they end up a little bit short, they still outperformed and probably what they would have done without the goal. And I was doing that and, and it did not go well. I mean, it just absolutely killed the confidence of my employee over and over and over again, I was telling him he wasn't meeting his goals, wasn't meeting his goals, even though his performance was great. And he eventually quit. And it didn't, and, and, and yeah, it was not a good thing.
0: I think the goal, I, I'm with you. I think the goal process has changed. I've been part of the the smart goal planning, and some of them are just arbitrary. There may be like the, the company goals, like, hey, the company wants to do X, Y, Z, and those don't align, or maybe they're not even possible with the capabilities that the team has today, or what they've been empowered to even really do. And so, in your, to, to go to your point, we're setting them up to fail by putting these large goals out there that they can't realistically achieve no matter how hard they try. And it's it's disheartening.
1: Yeah, and, and not only is the goal large, it's a goal that's being created by you as their boss or employer, and it's not connected to their heart, to what they want, or any of their desires, purpose, or passions. So as a result, They're going to struggle with it the whole time. It's going to create a lot of fight in them just to try to get them to try and achieve that goal. The only way that they might try to achieve it is for a motivational purpose that falls very low on the motivational hierarchy, and that is either money or I just don't want to get fired, right? Things that are much more important in the motivational hierarchy are affirmation that people want to know if they're doing it right, freedom, people want autonomy, and then lastly, purpose. People want to do something that makes the world a better place. And, and if we can create goals that do that, that's that's what's better. And that's what I had to discover after that employee left. I, I, I was counting on them for their performance because they're doing so good and then they quit and it just like hurt. It was like, man, this is terrible. Um, and I was sleeping at the office. You know, my wife and I just had these brand new babies and they were at home and I wasn't even spending time with them. It was just terrible. And I had to decide, okay, I'm either going to keep doing what I'm doing and, or sell this business or figure this thing out. And that's when I dove in headfirst to this idea of learning how to manage people and throwing away the management books and, and jumping into to, uh, how people really think and, and how people are really motivated. And that's when I discovered those three things.
0: So let's, let's, share, let's share with, today you have an Inc. 5000 fastest growing company. And your model today would be, I don't want to say anti-business, but it's certainly not typical for the average business that's out there. Can you share with us what your company culture looks like today? And then we'll go back to the beginning and we'll start. How do we get here? And what did you intentionally do day after day, year after year to get to where you're at today?
1: Well, the first thing that, and this is the most important thing with the company and my company culture is, that it has a purpose, as mentioned before, and this purpose is not just like a mission statement. This is a unifying thing that everybody comes into work together, to do together, and they get excited about doing it with other people that they care about, so now they have a community of people that they're pursuing this purpose with, and this purpose is selfless, and it, like I said before, makes the world a better place, and it genuinely makes a positive impact on real people when they do it. So, our purpose is to love people through finances. It sounds like a simple statement, but it's a big deal because we are meeting a need that is, if it doesn't get met, it will hurt other people. It's just plain wrong if people's finances don't get managed well because it could lead potentially to divorce or people working longer and not having great relationships with their kids or not being able to retire when they want and just bleeding into so many other areas of our life. And the people that work for me are on board with this mission and this purpose. That's the first thing that we've got going on. And um, the, the other things that we do is I recognize that other motivational hierarchy, you know, that it's not about money. Yes, money's important. But that's only the fourth most motivating thing. So I give my team a crazy amount of affirmation to let them know if they're doing it right. This is more than just a 90-day performance review. As a matter of fact, I throw that thing out the window and don't even do those. We have live dashboard scoreboards where we're giving people affirmation to let them know how they did that day every day to say, hey, look. You're doing things right because this metric, this thing that you did, it led to this unified purpose being met in this way. I'm constantly scheduling for myself affirmations as a manager to give high fives around the office or think of creative ways to reward them. An example, we're doing an annual team meeting that we do every year, and uh, we're giving out. Re- Awards for our, our our key character traits, and you know, I'm buying like Oculus Rift for people, or or, or uh, giving them a, a plaque with an award on it, or reading a statement from a customer. So so affirmations are a big part of what we do, and and lastly, uh, we're, we're huge on freedom. I tried to give as much freedom as possible to the to our the team, uh, and, and I put myself in their shoes often to think through how could they potentially be enslaved at their job or feel trapped? And what can I do to change that uh, experience of from entrapment to freedom so that they have the freedom to thrive in pursuing our purpose together? Wow, there's a lot of information there.
0: Let's, let's go back and help me understand daily affirmations or do yes. you have an affirmation scoreboard, what exactly is that?
1: So we've identified, uh, as most business owners should, Uh, what are called KPIs, right, key performance indicators. Mm -hmm. We know that if we are taking certain actions, they will lead to certain reactions that we want to have. Um, But rather than just having numbers of you made this call today, good job, you know, you get rewarded. We say, okay, you had a meeting with a real person. So, you met with a person. We don't say or call it a meeting. And that person that you met with, is now educated about their finances a little bit better. So you made an impact on a real person, which is what we try to do. We try to love people to finances. So we make sure that our dashboard and our metrics, we take these KPIs and we turn them into, instead of just like numbers, we turn them into stories. Stories of how our unified purpose is being met. And this is true for admin staff as well, cause they don't maybe meet with customers, right? But we'll say, hey, look, when you enter this information into this software, it led to another person on our team, the community aspect, having the information they needed, which then led to this many people being loved through finances, right? So we lead everything. We point everything back to the purpose of what you do really makes an impact on real people. So that's that's how we've, we've uh, just transitioned, I'd say, the normal KPI dashboard into something that matters and helps. How long did it
0: take you to get to the KPI dashboard that you have today?
1: Um, I mean, we're still updating it. I, I mean, that's, that's kind of the thing with, with creating a company culture. Um, it, you never like arrive. <laughs> There's no like, hey, finish line, you did it. Good job. You know, it's something that you always want to keep improving on. And um, my hope is that people who take my course, read my book, they recognize that creating a company culture is not only awesome for them. And their business but it's awesome for the people that are working for them and then also awesome for the community of people that they're serving the customers and and that you as a business owner manager leader should be constantly working on this craft focusing on it trying to get better and better and better at it each day week quarter month year Um, and, and that's what we've been doing I'd say the KPR dashboard we started doing these you know years ago but we make adjustments to it as often as we we can to try to make it better cool
0: so your company today has unlimited time off people come and go as they please and you've talked about this on many other podcasts before and we're i'm starting to see maybe some of that even maybe in the insurance industry not not a lot of employers are willing to suddenly hey February 1st, March 1st, everybody has unlimited time off and please try and get your work done and hopefully everything goes correctly. And I think there's a lot of apprehension that if a business were to do that, things would not go well. Customers would not get served. Widgets would not get made. There would be a complete breakdown, a complete fiasco. What if a business wanted to do something like that, how would you and create that culture of empowering their employees to do the right thing? What what would you what would your step-by-step process be? What's what's the number one thing? Hey, first thing you need to do is this, if that's the path and the direction that you're going to take your company.
1: Yeah, the first thing you have to do is have a purpose. Your company, that's what our affirmation points to, and that's also what our freedom points to. I allow my employees to come and go as they please, basically do whatever they want with their work day, as long as you're still loving people through finances. That's it. That's the only caveat, right? Um, So, the only time that we have a problem and accountability needs to happen or, or maybe some course correction is whenever they aren't loving people through finances or they act selfishly because your unified purpose must be something that requires selflessness. So, then you have a culture. Of selflessness. So you've got to start with a unified purpose. But I think it's also important, Todd, to recognize this. The freedom that I give my team should not be the freedom that you give your team. The freedom that you give your team should align with your unified purpose and should li- align with you as a leader. So again, like you said, people can come and go as they please. They can take as much vacation as they want. They can work from wherever they want. They can, I mean, I empower my team like crazy, right? but that's that's me. That's because that's, that's the way I like to work. And that's the way I'd like someone to treat me. But some people like if, uh, maybe a little bit more guidance or a little more guardrails or a little more boundaries. And that's totally fine.
0: That is good information. So let's talk a little bit about how your faith has shaped the way that you operate your businesses today and how you bring that to work with you. Because I know you're a very faithful and religious person. And I think that that has spilled over, like your love, your love for people through finances, and your love for your family, and your love for God, has also spilled over into your love for your employees and your love for your people, and the love, the love you have for the way that you do business.
1: Hmm. Yeah, you know, I um, I would say that one of the big frustrations that I had as a um, newer person in the finance world when I first kind of started my professional co- career in the mortgage world. I, I was 19 years old. And kind of what I saw was um, people were one way at the office, and then they were another way at home, and then they were another way at church. And they kind of lived these separate lives. And I would watch these people do that, people that I worked with. And I'm like, what? That's that about? And it just kind of rubbed me wrong. And Um, there's no doubt that, I mean, if you talk with me for any period of time or follow me on social media, I mean, I, I, I wear my heart and who I am on my sleeve and, and, and I am not who I am today without my relationship with Jesus. And, um, the teachings of the Bible have shaped as as much as my life as I can allow them to, and I'm going to continue to allow them to shape my life. And, um, I believe there's, you have one life that you live. You don't have all these different lives, uh, that you try to live at the same time. And that just becomes exhausting. It, it's contradictory and hypocritical. So I just do my best to be the same person, no matter where I'm at. So who, who I am right now on this podcast is who you're going to get. If you work for me, um, if we, you know, you see me at home or if I'm serving at church, like I'm the same guy. And, um, yeah, it, my faith in Christ has very much shaped that. Um, I have one mission and purpose in life. I believe that we are called to love others. That's why Jesus has me here. If you look at the Great Commission, the, the very last thing that Jesus said before he ascended into heaven was that Great Commission go out into all the world, uh, making disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Well, Todd, if you look at that verse, what do you think is the most important word in the Great Commission?
0: I would say it's love.
1: Love. Well, the most important word there is actually, if you break it down grammatically, is the word them. They're going to them. You're loving them. You're making disciples of them. So when I look at Jesus' life, his whole life was for even the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as ransom for many. So he came and made his whole life about them. So, So for me, I need to make my life about them. And what am I supposed to do to them? Like you said, I need to love them. And that's what my life is about. So if it comes to my business, I'm going to make my business an extension of that same purpose. That's why I don't understand business owners who are all about profit, 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 profit. Like, no, I was not put on this earth to profit Money, that's not not a thing. Now businesses need to profit, but profit is like the fuel in a car. I mean, Simon Sinek says it great. He says cars were not created to burn fuel; they just need fuel to get to a destination. The destination is the purpose, the same as of the business. I need profit as fuel to get to the destination in my business, and my destination is to love people through finances. You know, so. Um, my relationship with Jesus, my faith in Christ, has shaped every area of my life. And if it hasn't shaped my business life, then I'm failing. And my hope is it shaped it just as much as it shaped my personal life, because I only have one life, not multiple lives that I have to try to live.
0: The the entire time I've known you, in the last few years, we run in, we run into each other at conferences. I've known you to be the exact same way. And honestly, when I hear you say that again, it makes me want to be a better person and go try harder and do better. And I absolutely, I absolutely love that. To go into that a little further, I think, I think it's become hard. It's become very hard for business owners during the last year with COVID to love their employees and love their, the, the people that they serve with the businesses that they provide. And we're stuck at home. We're on Zoom meetings, person-to-person interaction is fewer and far between. How have you changed or what have you done differently to, to be intentional about how you're loving people and reaching out to them and making an impact?
1: Well, my hope is that COVID has, yes, created a challenge, but more than anything, it's awakened business owners to this unbelievably amazing privilege that they have. Like, yes, being a business owner, you run and own a business, but I cannot think of, and I'm open to arguments, but I cannot think of a better way to make an impact on a real person's life than through employment. Like, yeah, sure. We provide income for them and that's a big deal, right? That money allows them to care for their family and to pay their bills and to live in a house and to eat and then goes back into society and our economy. And and that is a whole nother conversation, But if you're doing business with an intentional culture, you're creating a purpose for them to be a part of. You're giving them the opportunity to make an impact on real people every day. And they get to do it with other people that could potentially become their friends and that they get to be in community with. You have the opportunity to lead people and help develop them to not only become better people and masters at a craft, but better spouses or parents or members of society because you're challenging them to do something meet a purpose that's selfless and anytime we practice selflessness we get to become better human beings like this thing of business ownership and managing and leading people is a wonderful privilege and and, in, and if you put it in the evangelical terms i think it's the greatest ministry opportunity on the planet I just don't know of a way I can make a bigger impact on a real person's life than through employment. And I think it's wonderfully beautiful. So, if I'm trying to do that through the lens of COVID, yes, it was challenging, but what an awesome opportunity to really show them that I care. So, again, what, what do I do with that? Well, if I want my team to love people through finances, which sounds really vague, I need to love them so that when it comes to asking that question, well, how do I love my customers through finances? Oh, I know. I just do what Grant did to me. And what, does, what do I try to do? I try to put myself in their shoes, figure out their needs, figure out where they're hurting, figure out how I can help them and make it happen. So, look, shutdown happened. They're at home with kids trying to figure out what to do being a, a, an employee and now a teacher. So, I bought bounce houses and had them delivered to their backyard and let them, the kids play in the bounce house so they could get a break and actually work. I bought video game systems for the kids. I I bought... um a movie projector so they could have a movie night of just relaxing and hanging out together because I could imagine that they were kind of fighting with their kids back and forth of just constantly being with each other. I I, uh, imagine that they would probably have a hard time getting to the grocery store. So I just delivered groceries to their house. And remember when toilet paper was a thing and you couldn't get it, I would deliver that to their home. I just did anything and everything that I could to put myself in their shoes and serve them. And, and that's all it takes. And if you're listening to this thinking like, oh, I can't afford to do all those things. That stuff costs money. Look, I, it's, it's been over 15 years of business where I've been able to gather the assets to be able to pay for stuff like that. But it doesn't take money to be generous. Money is not a character trait of generosity. Empathy is. Willingness is. And being able to put yourself in other people's shoes. That's what you have
0: to do. One of the things, Grant, that I've always advocated for in workers' compensation claims is is what I would call an employee navigator. I guess that's the technical term navigator, but really it's a person at the company who cares because much like COVID, the side effect of a serious work comp claim is the struggle that an individual and their family may have. And I'm thinking of the person who suddenly maybe they hurt their knee, they hurt their shoulder, they're off work. They can't do the things at home that they need to do. Maybe they can't pick up their kids. Maybe they can't cook dinner and it creates this stress and friction at home because now the person's injured, they've got reduced wages, they don't feel good and it disrupts the family life. And I've always advocated for what you've just said, you know, having somebody from the company or a coworker stop at the store, buy some food, bring over dinner, just do the things that care and make that difference during one of the hardest periods of, of somebody's, of an employee's career, nobody has to get injured. Sometimes it happens and by caring for them and, you know, I guess, you know, just loving them, loving them through their, through work will make a huge difference in, in the way that that employee and the staff around that employee perceive the company that they work for. And I think that's so few and far between. I don't think that's something that's being done today, and I love to hear what you just did because that's that's a testament to how you care for your employees.
1: Man, I love that. I, I haven't heard of it as called a like a navigator like that. Uh, we have somebody on our staff I, I've titled uh, as the executive of belonging, where her sole job is to make sure that everybody on the staff feels like they belong. Um, she is constantly surveying these folks to see what their needs are and making sure that we don't just meet needs generally, but we're able to meet needs specifically based on what those people are going through. And uh, this executive belonging not only tries to love our team well, but, they, but this executive belonging, her name is Sam. She does a great job of making sure our customers feel loved as well. So, man, I, I think that every employee, you know, companies should eventually get to a place where they can hire somebody to do this. Um, because if I'm honest with you, like I'm not great at giving gifts. Um, like an example, birthdays. I don't really like bir- a birthday was never special to me. I'm in the middle of seven kids. So like when you grow up, you can't make birthdays special when you have seven kids. So like a birthday is just another day to me. So as a result, I really struggle celebrating other people on their birthdays. But most people want to be celebrated on their birthday. So I, I have to hire somebody who, who knows that and is able to step in for my weakness there and really celebrate others on their birthday, right? So that's what this executive of belonging does. They, they make up for so many of my weaknesses. And they're able to take some of those intentional actions that I have for my good intentions. I genuinely do want to be as loving as I can, but sometimes I just suck at it, you know?
0: I am right there with you. Sometimes I get so busy in my day and there's so many things planned that... I mean, even as a business owner myself, there's this culture and that I want to have, and I want to share with the community. There is a certain way that I want to treat every person that I get to work with every single day. And sometimes my day just gets away from me. And that doesn't mean that I don't care about them because I do. I, I, I want to create this awesome, awesome place where people come to work. They, they take care of the people that we have here. They do the right thing and they enjoy what they do. And, uh, having, I like, I like, was the director of first, what was
1: the, what was that position again? The executive of belonging,
0: executive of belonging. I need to write that down and put somebody in charge here for that. I love it.
1: Yeah. It, it's, um, like it, it really, it came to hiring this person because again, I recognize that I struggled in executing all the things that I wanted to. Um, and something that I often say is, um, good intentions require intentional actions. And I was unable to take all the intentional actions I needed to make my good intentions come to life. So, I created a position and brought on somebody to help make that happen. And again, like you said, I I, I have the best intentions to create the most amazing company culture I can and to love my employees the best way I can and to create these awesome experiences for our community the, the best I can, but I can't do it all myself. And um, bringing in other people to help with that allows us to just skyrocket those intentions and, and help them come to life. I, you know, Todd, I, I, I think there's a lot of people who are probably listening who do have those intentions. Don't nobody wants to be a crappy boss. Everybody wants to be the best boss ever, right? There's so much pride I have in my team talking about how great of a place stewardship is to work. It's it's wonderful. But I didn't just like arrive. There's no like magic formula of like do this thing for, you know, three weeks or, you know, eight, 18 days and you'll turn into a blah, blah, blah. That just doesn't happen. Again, it's a process that you continually work on and you just have to do it one step at a time, little by little by little. Pick out one of those intentional actions that you know you need to follow through on to create the culture you want and keep doing that until it becomes a habit and then move on to the next one and then do it again and move on to the next one and it just snowballs.
0: So let's talk a little bit about your culture course. Part of the reason I wanted to have you on the podcast today was as as a as a business owner in the insurance space, I have seen I have seen the 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 business that maybe has the bad manager or maybe sales are down. Um, maybe things just aren't going right. And they start laying off some people, maybe lawsuits ensue. Maybe you've got employees who are getting injured and you've got a long list of workers compensation claims. And when I go in and the owner or the the business manager, they're complaining about insurance costs. Nobody wants to work. And there's just, you can almost feel it. There's, there's a, I would say maybe a dark overclassed sky, you know, a doom and gloom over this business. And it just doesn't feel right. And then when you look at the losses you're having that the, the business is having, it all ties back to leadership and it ties back to culture. And I don't think sometimes people know maybe how to get out of the rut that they're in, or maybe they don't know what the path is. And you've got a great course here. And just, I don't know if you can share some of that with us about, about maybe, you know, if you're a business that's in that dark place, maybe, you know, through claims or COVID or whatever it is, or you're a business that just wants to change, what do what do you go? What do you start? What's your first thing?
1: Yeah. So um, I created Culture Course as an opportunity in a way to educate people on how to create a thriving company culture, but for it to be more than just like a paradigm shift of like, hey, here's some ideas and philosophical things. um, I literally put the things that I do for my team in it. So people who take the course can copy and paste what I do and do it in their own business. It's step-by-step resources, guided video walkthroughs on do this, do this, do this, and then you get that, you know. So, it's uh, stuff that you can work to implement over a period of time to try and create the healthy company culture that you want. And it kind of goes beyond just an online course too. But, um, you know, those who graduate from the course have the opportunity to come to Stewardship, my office, once a year where we do um, an opportunity for them to see interviews of me and my employees, and they can ask my employees questions about all the different modules that I have in the course. It's twelve modules. It's six, 60 hours of video, and when you can come and see it in person, though, man, it, it, it even takes your implementation to another level. And 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 the reason why I do it is just like you said. I believe a healthy company culture makes wide, sweeping, unbelievable changes in a business and therefore in a community, including but not limited to being wise with your workers' comp, having less workers' comp claims, right? When you have a team of people who are on the same purpose, are on the same mission and are genuinely working together, they're willing to take on different processes, procedures, even if they're a little bit annoying because they know that it's helpful to the purpose you're trying to meet and, and they're excited about doing whatever they can to make a positive impact on not just the community they serve but also their employees and and, and maybe even their boss because they like their boss so yeah culture course is just that online course that can help people take this to the next level and and see how they can um, apply some of this stuff
0: i love that i did not realize that as part of the culture course they could come check out stewardship financial but that's pretty cool that's really cool yeah
1: yeah, it's like a So after you graduate, you you you've earned the right to be able to to come to Arizona, um, for a, a two day kind of intensive, and the first day is filled with uh, interview. That we just have a, have a, a meeting space here at stewardship. It's a very secluded. Not a ton of people are allowed to come, but anywhere from ten to twenty people will come. And I bring in an employee, and there's a particular topic that we're trying to go through. I I walk that employee through some things and talk. And then after I'm done, then everybody who's there is allowed to ask that employee some questions in front of me and then they're instructed to be as transparent as possible. So they get to hear the good, the bad, and the ugly about me and my leadership and about our culture, all the while taking notes of like, okay, here's what my culture looks like and here's things I need to change while I'm here in Arizona, so that when I go up back to my office, um, I can make sure that it's integrated in the best way possible. And then the last day we we do something fun, we get out at a restaurant or, or do something fun Arizona uh, stuff where we all, you know, share what we wrote down in our notebooks. So, like, say, hey, I was thinking about implementing this. What did you think about implementing? And just create some collaboration and hearing ideas from other people. It's, it's a ton of fun.
0: Love that. I think uh, I think any business, including mine, collaboration and networking is a key to being successful and growing not mm-hmm. only as a but also as a person. And especially when you surround yourself with some like-minded people that want to change. Yeah. Um, you know, I certainly want to change an industry with workers' compensation and how how that process occurs at the granular level. And so many times the the that claim that a business has, it turns into a negative rather than a positive. And I really think that we can Mm. we can turn that claim into a positive. I think people didn't ask to get hurt. And I think we can build a stronger team and a stronger community and a stronger workforce by caring through those caring for those people when they have their worst day. And that goes back to creating the culture within your company, whether it's workers' compensation or how you take care of your employees on a daily basis or affirming them that they're doing the right job and they're doing a good job daily. All of those things will help your business and any business thrive. And it's easy to see as you go around the communities that we live in and work in those businesses that really have that great positive culture because it exudes everywhere that they go. It's in their advertising. It's the way that people walk down the street. When you see them at the store, they love what they do. And I just, I think you've got a great story and I really appreciate you sharing with us today.
1: Oh man, it's been fun, Todd. I, I think the whole idea for this podcast is, is wonderful. Workers' comp insurance is um, way more important than people believe. It's a wonderful thing that every business needs to spend time, not just obtaining, but obtaining correctly because uh, it's a wonderful, wonderful way to be a great boss, to be a responsible business. And it's absolutely a key Cog in creating an awesome company culture. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm hopeful that this uh, podcast continues to make a big impact on other people and that uh, they get serious about their workers comp because I think this is it could be a blessing to a lot of folks. So thanks for having me on. It's it's been awesome.
0: Thank you so much. Before we uh, before we wrap up here today, I have a few questions I ask just that are that are kind of fun that just help us, you know, get maybe an insight into you and uh, if. If there's nothing else that you would like to add or share with people today, I'd like to ask you these three questions and then we'll head off. Cool. All right. So question number one is pretty easy. What are you reading right now?
1: Well, um, I am currently reading business made simple by Donald Miller. Um, I actually posted about this on social media today, but it was t- today's is the book launch day for his book *Business Made Simple*. And I'm a huge fan of StoryBrand and Donald Miller and all the business strategies and things that they're doing. This is actually like a a book that's meant to be like a 60-day master leadership sales training thing. Um, so it's, it's more like a, like a course that you get to go through with videos and everything. It's wonderful. And uh, although if I'm honest with you, I likely know most of the things that are in this book because I've followed Don for so long and have consumed so much of his information. It's one of those things that I can now walk my team through, right? And I can be a better leadership development person or just professional development person. And if you can get to a place where your company culture is a place where people are developed as better human beings, better professionals. Um, man, it's it's a lot of fun and I'm excited about reading this book because I know it'll be a tool to help me in that end.
0: That's awesome. I'll have to check that out. I'll have to check that out. I love the story brand. I have not heard of the book, but uh, that'll be on my list.
1: Yeah, Business Made Simple just came out today. Okay.
0: Next one is, what's one thing you spend more money on than you should?
1: My wife. <laughs> My wife and kids, I'm a sucker. If uh, they uh, ask for something, I rarely say no. And uh, I'm currently in the process. Um, we're, we're having two homes built next to each other, one for me and then one for my uh, in-laws and and my brother-in-law who's handicapped. We're going to kind of move into a different stage of our life of caring for him and helping and whatnot. And um, with when you buy a new home, uh, there's all kinds of things that, uh, you know, your HGTV and Pinterest boards want to try to come to life. And, um, I've probably said yes on, on spent way too much money on some of that stuff <laughs> that I probably should.
0: I think when it comes to family, uh, there's really no budget. So I'm, oh, with you.
1: Man. Yep.
0: I'm with you. They get what they want. Last thing before we wrap up here, just what's, uh, you can leave the podcast today. What's one piece of advice you'd like to give
1: the world? Um, you know, I typically will say, uh, that the best intentions require intentional actions. Um, so figure out when you're done with this podcast, like what is one of those intentions that you have, those really, really good intentions as a, as a leader or manager or business owner that you want to come to life and spend five minutes writing that intention down, put pen to paper, then write down three steps that you know need to happen to make that intention come to life. Then after that, schedule. Schedule it. So you're going to take five minutes. You're going to write down that best intention that you wish was coming to life better. Then you're going to take some more time and write three intentional actions that have to follow that intention. And then you have to schedule those three intentional actions and make sure that they're either happening on a perpetual basis, make them part of your daily rhythm or weekly rhythm or monthly rhythm, Whatever. Or maybe it's a one-time thing and just do it the one time, but make sure you schedule it, put it in your calendar and actually do the thing. Uh, Because my hope for you is that you are able to make your good intentions come to life. Cause I believe that uh, most people in the world when healthy are awesome human beings, amazing individuals. And um, I'd love to see those good intentions be perpetuated in our society even more often.
0: I love that. I use uh, Andy Brazella has the top five. I do the top five every day, but it's not, it's not as intentional and thought driven as what you just put right there I love it yeah all right grant well thanks so much for being on the comp effect podcast today uh, we'll include links to your Instagram and your Facebook page but if somebody wants to get a hold of you what's what's the best way for them to, to tr- reach out
1: yeah I would say Instagram's probably the best my Instagram handle is at grant botma or if you're on Twitter at Grant botma, I'm on Twitter there as well I'm posting. On social media at least once a day. And I'm very active in my direct messages. So I'd say that's how most people are able to connect with me. So
0: awesome. All right. Well, Grant, thank you so much for wrapping up this podcast with us. We really appreciate it. And uh, we look forward to following you and keeping you in the, the loop with the podcast and seeing what you do in the future.
1: Awesome. Thanks for having me on, Todd. It was fun. Thanks, Grant.